Welcome back to the podcast. It's been a little while and we want to apologize about that. We've been building our new warehouse, which is super amazing and can achieve all the things that we want to achieve in it, where we can create sustainable communities, we can educate, empower and inspire everyone because we've got things like water tanks that collect all the water. We use for washing the vehicles, flushing the toilets and watering the garden. There's a rooftop garden. There's recycled carpet, timbers and amazing educational spaces throughout the whole building so you'll have to come visit that if you haven't already but what have we got for you today we've got ollie hansford olive's lived a fantastic life and is totally together and ready to launch into something new and exciting but first of all today's broadcast is brought to you by green endeavor it's where we create sustainable communities where all people are educated empowered and inspired through the joy of real food that is the owner of the brand Suncoast Fresh and Fruits Link. Also brought to you by Chef Notepad. You need to get this thing in your phone so you can manage your businesses even better than you thought you could. Calculate your food costs and manage your recipes. That's what Chef Notepad's all about. But let's get in and talk with Ollie Hansford, episode 81. Ollie Hansford, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Well, you are our first podcast here at the new warehouse. We've just completed the tour. Yeah. What were your thoughts? Blown away. Yeah? The sheer size, the scale of, of what you guys have got here, how incredible and how beautiful the, the fit out is. And obviously where we're sitting right now with the rooftop garden, it's yeah. just it's beautiful. Yeah. Mate, thank you. You've been a long-term customer of Suncoast and we really um, respect and appreciate your support throughout the years. And um, yeah, just want to say thank you straight up. But you've had an interesting career, my friends, from an underwear model in the UK. <laughs> I told you not to put that in. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. So you're a good-looking rooster, you know, but um, um, you, you ended up coming out here. What, what were you doing back in London before you got going out here? Um, so I've been a chef my whole life. Um, there was a brief stint where I worked on a, um, a horse breeding yard. That was a, a weird part of my life, but um, <laughs> apart from that, I've been a, been a chef the whole time. Explains a lot. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. okay. So, yeah, tell me how you got started. Um, so, look, my parents, they're, they're not the best cooks, but they're not the worst. Um, and growing up, one thing that was synonymous is we always sat down for family meal, whether it was breakfast, lunch or dinner, the whole family got together. We all sat around the table um, and we all had a meal together and we talked about the day and we, we just kind of, that was our time as a family to, to get together. And that was kind of what ignited my passion for, okay, food isn't just something that you eat. Food is something that brings people together. It's, it's a way of showing love, showing your affection to one another and kind of like sharing a moment and, and time. So I always had that in, it kind of built into me that it was kind of forced upon us that we sit down, we, we enjoy this meal and we talk and we share this together. That being said, I was a little shit with eating. Like I, I was such a fussy kid. Um, my family sat down and had a beautiful roast chicken dinner. I sat there with chicken, chicken dippers, chips and, and tomato sauce. What? And my dad, um, my dad had a sausage factory when I was probably about 10, 10 or 11. And there was this one day where it was bringing your son or daughter to work day. And I went with my dad, I went to the factory. And that was the first time that I actually saw how food was made. Um, there was, we, we went into the, the floor and I remember seeing this whole pig 
And it was the first time that I saw, I guess, a, a processed animal. I, I saw pig for meat as opposed to, to uh, a pig as a, an animal. And the butcher that was breaking it down, he was so precise, so quick, so efficient. And then he was taking the leg, the shoulder, the loin, the belly, and then everything got used. So the, the belly got minced into the sausages, the, the legs got sent off to this different um, station where he did something else with that. And I was kind of blown away that from this one animal, you know, you could make all these different things. And then as the day progressed, I was on the floor and I was helping, I was linking the sausages, I was making them, I was packing them. And they were, they were incredible sausages. They, they had like a royal warrant from the, the Queen Mother. But I hated them because I just liked my chicken, chicken nuggets and stuff. <laughs> and it wasn't until There's after that day. There's hope for your children yet, people. <laughs> There's hope. There's hope for your children. Yeah, and it wasn't until after that day that we, we sat down and we had a couple of beers and we obviously cooked up the sausages. Wait a minute. You were drinking beer? I thought you were a child drinking chicken nuggets. Yeah, so you're a full-blown adult still eating fucking <laughs> nuggets and chips. Really? Yeah, we'll, we'll cut that bit out. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, and, you know, and then we cooked up the sausages and I had them. And I was like, you know what? I can taste the herbs that were put in there. I can taste yeah. the spice. I can taste yeah. this. And yeah. I can taste the passion that was put into that. And it kind of good, opened good my world. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it opened my world to, okay, this, this is proper food. You yeah. know, this is, this is how it should be. Fast forward a couple of years, um, my dad then had a, a pate business and we had a, a stall in the- Has very, he still got this business? No, he's, he's sold both of them now. Okay, what were they called, just for the record? Um, so the, the sausage business was called Musk's. Yeah. Um, and the pate business was Patchwork Pate, oh. uh, both based in the UK. And um, for the pate, we had a, a, a stall at the prestigious London Borough Market. Wow. And again, I used to, to go to work with my dad on the weekends. And going to the market was, again, like a massive eye-opener. There was all these different um, artisans, like st stands and stalls, and there was people there so passionate about the product that they were selling that I went to the baker that was making this incredible bread. I took some of the bread. I, I went back to the stand. I put some pate on it. I was like, Fuck, this is... This is great. Mm. Then I, I stumbled into Neil's Yard, which you know is, is possibly world famous for having some of the best cheese, cheeses and cheesemongers in there. And again, I, I was talking to the, the people behind there and they were talking about the, the passion behind each kind of cheese that was there. And I took that back and I had that. I was like, you know what, this is, this is, awesome. this is food. You know, this is mm. incredible. And after, after one of these days, we, um, we went to the pub again, you know, just, that, well, that's what you do in England, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Finish work, what have we done? Republic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and whilst we were there, we were having a couple of beers, and I, this, we were talking to this, this young fella. And um, it turned out that he was training to be a chef. He was training at a place called Westminster Kingsway College. And he basically said, look, if you enjoy eating and you love kind of food and you love some beers, chef life. That's, that's the, the way. So food, beers... That's it. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> I'm a simple guy. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So you went off to Westminster Kingsway College? Yes. Yeah. Um, and that's a, like a culinary college? It is, yeah. So it was um, five days a week. Yeah. Um, so at that stage, I was still living at home with my parents because I think I was 15 or 16 at the time. Um, so I used to travel from their doorstep. So hang on, you were 15, 16, and you were going to the pub drinking beers. <laughs> 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 Timeline correct here. <laughs> Okay, yeah, no you worries, can, that's you England. You a few beers at that time. <laughs> yeah, 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 just the little ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah right, okay. <laughs> so you're 15, 16, you're off in this college now. Yeah, 
Okay. Um, and I, I was there for two years, and from doorstep to doorstep was about a three-hour journey. Sorry, two years, did you just say? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I used to yeah, wake up at about five, six o'clock, get the train to London, be at college for um, 8, 8.30, complete college at three o'clock, then I'd um, nip over on the subway to Soho House, which is where I, I got like a part-time job after work. And I had to leave there at 11 o'clock to catch the last train back home, which got me home at about 1.30, 2 o'clock, a couple of hours sleep, and then back up again for, for college the next day. And there was no moving into town because there's just nowhere to... No. There's, there's been a space issue in London for years. And, the, and also being on um, like a, a chef wage in London, yeah. rent was astronomical. Yeah. So it just, it just was more beneficial to, to live at home and, and travel three hours there, three hours back. Yeah. And, you know, you got a little nap on the train every now and then, so it wasn't too bad. Was the college good? Was it a good college? Did it was a great know? college. Yeah. yeah. It was um, a lot of great chefs have kind of gone through there and there's a lot of people that um, I'm still friends with now that, that have uh, hatted restaurants or even uh, mission style restaurants um, and they've all gone from that college. So yeah. it was definitely a great time. That being said, when I was there, um, my head chef at Soho House, which was the part-time job after, after two years, he just pulled me aside and was like, mate, you're gonna learn far more if you just go into like a, a Michelin style restaurant and just go in. Feed, Be flogged. Yeah, just absolutely just <laughs> Fog yourself canned. here, yeah. stop, stop going to that cruisy college. Uh, that was it. Yeah. So um, he said, so you, you can learn the skills at the college, but you can't learn all of the little intricacies in, in how an actual kitchen operates and how um, team works together through classrooms. He's like, you need to go into, into a kitchen. Um, so yeah, it's, it's um, quite impulsive. So as soon as he said that, it was almost like the next day, I was like, cool, ciao. <laughs> and um, yeah, I started work at a, a one Michelin star restaurant, yep. um, which was, to this day, it was one of the best experiences and the best kind of year that I had working there. I, I'm openly saying this, like I used to drive into work in tears and leave in tears because it was such a brutal kitchen. I was about to ask you about the culture, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was you just got beasted every day. No matter how hard you worked, no matter if you got there an hour earlier than anybody else, no matter if you thought that your prep was better than it was the day before, there was always something that was that What was is wrong. that? What is that? That's a, that's, that's not how things are now. now are no, 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 no. One, it because was, we're not allowed to. But, yeah. But what, what was that, do you think? What was that culture? Because we, we, we were recently up at Port Douglas and we spoke to lots of people who used to work for Marco Piero White and, um, you know, had some great chats and it was the same thing. They just got absolutely flogged. What, why do you think that is? Well, the one thing that kind of kept getting drilled into us was if, if you can't keep up, I've got a resume of 40, 50 people that can take your spot right now. So I think it was the the fact that there were so many chefs wanting to learn and wanting to be in these kitchens. And it was, it was, you wanted to learn from these chefs and you wanted to learn within these brigades. So they knew that and they could take full advantage and they could just be like, you know what, if, if this guy wants to learn so, so badly, then let's kind of, let's force him, let's push him. Mm. And um, it, it, yeah, it was, it was hard, it was tough. It was a hundred hour weeks um, and like I said, after when I left, that's when I kind of looked back and was like, "That was, that was great." <laughs> yeah. I learned so much from that place. Yeah, so it's the opposite now. We have to give them lobster pasta for a staff meal. To <laughs> <those days. laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So you trained up over there. <laughs> You've got some um, bulletproofness about yourself. 
Um, is that when you, oh, you went up to Norfolk after that or something? Yep, so then um, I did a stage at a, a two-star for a little bit, and then I went to Norfolk um, at a place called Mawson Hall, uh, which was another uh, one mission star. And I was there for about two years. Um, I rose from um, demi-chef to junior sous-chef there. Um, and that was, again, that was a different kind of kitchen. That was a, it was, it was a hard kitchen, but it was not as hard as, as the first place. Some of the listeners won't know what a demi-chef is, so what's that? Uh, so you have, um, I guess, apprentice um, and then commie-chef, then it goes up to demi, um, chef de party, senior chef de party, junior sous, sous. You could get like senior sir and then head chef. Yeah. Um, so I, I kind of started at this place fairly low. I do like to, back in the day, I like to um, go a, a, a grade kind of lower than what I thought I was, just so therefore I could learn the kitchen, learn the team, learn the food, and then kind of shine through that way, yeah, yeah. as opposed to being completely out of my depth. And you're 10 years old, but you play for the under eights, I get it. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Big fish in a small pond. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah, nice, look good early. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Um, so yeah, I was there for, for a couple of years. Um, and that was, again, that was a different experience. Um, I learned a lot from, from the chefs there. And then it was, it, was, um, it was time just to move to Australia. Um, my partner at the time, she came here for a holiday and came back and she's like, we're, we're moving. So that was it, six months after that, we're in Australia. Um, I thought it might be the next day, I'd be like the colleagues. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, we're moving today. I had to save a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and then- Melbourne. It, Brisbane. Brisbane. So Brisbane, um, we kind of chilled out for a couple of weeks and then I, I got off of the position, I got off of the job um, at a restaurant and they offered to sponsor me, which was what I, what I wanted. I wanted to kind of stay here and, and get the sponsorship and to celebrate getting that position, we had a meal at the Stokehouse in Brisbane and I remember eating the food there and I was like, Shit, this is a lot better than the place I've just been offered. So this was <laughs> Tony Kelly? Tony Kelly, yeah. yeah absolute legend of a guy. Yeah, like, yeah. I've got a lot of time for him, a lot of respect. And what he's built up since um, my first meeting him 10, 10, 11 years ago to what he's got now. He's, he's yeah. a corporate giant now. He is, yeah. And a legend. He's been on the podcast as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so then I, I saw him at the pass after the meal and I just went up to him. I was like, hey, this is my situation. I've just been offered this job. I actually prefer to work here because <laughs> the food's a lot better. Uh, and yeah, he was like, cool, you You're can not start tell tomorrow. You're not going to tell us about the other place was. No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not, it's not around anymore, but no, no I'm not. Um, so yeah, and then I started there the next, the next day. So you would have been shoulder to shoulder with, was Braden there then? Braden was Braden there. Braden White? Um, Braden White and Richard Usby. Oh, Richard was there too. So Richard and Braden, they were both um, sous chef. Yeah. Um, and Tony was head chef, exec chef. Yeah. Tony left after a couple of months of me being there, not because I was there, I, I hope. Uh, and then there was a fight between Richard and Braden. So not a fight, but it was who's going who's gonna to kind of take the, the head chef role. Um, and I remember this. Yeah, and Richard Usby, um, he got promoted to head chef. And then I worked for Richard for probably another six years after that at the Stokehouse in Brisbane, and then we opened up the Stokehouse Melbourne as well. Any good stories about Stokehouse Brisbane with Richard and Braden and all the rest? Uh, there's a few. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's a few. Any that come to mind? Nope. nope. 
<laughs> what about any fun stories there? Come on. Um, no, there was there was some. The staff parties got pretty loose, um, <laughs> and there was a few kind of broken bones and a few um, a few good nights out had. But it was it was a very good team. It was a very good kind of time. So just normal. That's nothing. To yeah, say, yeah, yeah. Um, and ran by uh, Peter Mack as well. So Peter, he was the Peter McMahon. He was the um, the GM. Um, absolutely lovely guy. And he, I kind of credit a lot of the, a lot of the knowledge that I have now of how businesses operate and how restaurants operate because of him. Mm. I felt like back in England, that was my, my time to learn how to cook and, and learn produce and learn kind of food and, and menus and so forth. And then it was Peter that was, okay, this is how you cost a roster. This is how you cost the menu. This is how you actually run a, a, a financially viable business. Um, so yeah, I worked very closely with Peter. Um, and then, and then after a couple of years of, of the Stokehouse, there was kind of like a little hiatus where I went off to open a restaurant called Gage in, uh, in Fishland. Yep. I remember Gage. And, um, yeah, I opened that and I was there for a little time and then, uh, Frank Van Handel, the owner of, of Stokehouse kind of came in one day and said, look, I want you to move to Melbourne. Uh, I've got some big plans because this, this was, um, pre. No, this was post uh, fire, so Stokehouse St Kilda yeah. burning down. Um, and he said, "Look, I want you to to come to Melbourne and reopen the Stokehouse St Kilda, which was an absolute iconic powerhouse of a restaurant." Um, so yeah, I went there and opened that for four and a half years before returning back to Brisbane. Who were you working with down there in the kitchen? Um, so. So I was with um, Richard Usby. He was the exec chef. Um, and so he went down too? He was based in Brisbane, um, but me and him opened up the Stokehouse. Right. He was the exec chef. I was running the show and I was, I was opening um, Paperfish, which was the fish and chip shop downstairs, Pontoon, which was the restaurant downstairs, and then the Stokehouse above yeah. um, with Richard's guidance. But he, at that stage, he was just having his first child, so he was kind of, um, you know, as, as you would be, very kind of... Um, committed with his home life. So yeah, I was kind of, I opened the place and then after maybe about a year or so, Richard then moved on and then I became exec, kind of looking after both venues. And it was incredible. It was such a great experience. Living in Melbourne, um, I miss a lot of a lot of things about Melbourne. The There's weather no one is there not anymore. They've all moved here. You know that. Yeah, the, the weather. <laughs> no one, no one lives in Melbourne anymore. <laughs> it's not what you remember. <laughs> is that so? Yeah, fair <laughs> I've been down a few times. It's not quite as well how I remember them days. They were yeah. nearly glory days. Yes, for Melbourne, I believe. You know, yeah. like there probably were many glory days, and there probably still is, and there definitely is still great places down there. But um. Uh, it feels like um, that there is a bit of a migration up here. Mm. You know, dare I say, the ugly word of COVID uh, might have changed a few things. And now we've got this, they've come up here and there is a food scene, there is Absolutely, availability, yeah. and then there is a lot of different ingredients where people are going, actually, here's a whole new thing. And, you know, it's a little bit different to that just European thing we've been doing down here for, for a long time. Yeah. Um, let's come up to Brisbane and have a little bit of a play and actually get down to the beach occasionally. So welcome Absolutely, to Brisbane, yeah. everybody who wants to move up here. Keep it coming. <laughs> yeah. um, Hmm? Stay away. Oh, rent costs. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, so where else? Are, so, what made you come back to Brisbane? You were in Melbourne, having a good fun with Richard, the team, learning lots, being inspired. Yeah, it was the um, it was the lifestyle of. Oh, so the, the actual reason. Yeah, 
There you so, go. Um, so, yeah, the weather here, the lifestyle. No one came to you and said, hey, let's move back to Brisbane. You went, yeah? Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> you made that decision? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so what about you're missing home now? Like, what about England? What about your parents? What about the sausage factory? What's going on back home? All this, like, you're missing home? Or? Of course I'm, I miss Are you an only child? No, I've got a brother who lives here as well, a right. younger brother. Yeah. Um, and I've got a sister that lives back home. Okay. Um, and, of course, I'm, I miss family and, and so forth, but... Not you're a big boy. You're growing up now. And yeah. You? Yeah, okay. I started drinking when I was 10. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I don't miss England at all. Um, <laughs> which, yeah, it kind of pains me to say. I, I loved growing up in great childhood, great memories there, but you don't get you don't get the opportunities that you get here. Yeah. Like, um, people are a lot more friendly here. When I go back home, um, you, you kind of realise how miserable a lot of Englishmen are, you know? You kind of walk around and it's like, Oh yeah, well yeah, it could be better. But yeah. this weather, taxes. Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, lost the cricket again. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, we're not talking about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, Brisbane. Brisbane is now home. Um, love Brisbane, and uh, this is where I'm. I'm now about to kind of like really put down roots and and build um, build kind of the future for myself in Brisbane. But just prior to that, you, you opened a couple of restaurants of your own, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Actually, yeah, it was quite a big, <laughs> big problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, so tell me what inspired you to go and, you know, go out there because that's a bit of a big move for a lot of people. It's a it's an, probably an important move. I think a lot of people need to do that yes. to actually be better at their next, you know, thing if you, if you do get out like you have. Yeah. But tell me what inspired <clears throat> you to go, hey. Um, it was... It was one of two things. It was definitely a passion of okay, let's let's kind of do this on our own, so we can. So one thing at when these you big say restaurants, on your own, it's you and me and my uh, at the state at that time, two business partners, Alex Belodis, who's the head som of uh, the Stokehouse, and also um, Steve, who uh, he worked at the Stokehouse with us, very good mate. Um, we dragged him out of the corporate world to kind of open our first venue, Sofredi's. Um, which, you know, he, he worked in hospital, so he kind of, he, he picked it up straight away and he loved it and knew what was going on. Um, he's now back in England. He's living in England for a little bit. He's, he's English. Um, but yeah, the, at the time it was, okay, we, we want to kind of do this. We want to um, see what we can do um, and go out on our own. But the main reason was, and I hate to say it, but COVID. So this was the start of COVID. This is 2020. Um, so you opened a restaurant in COVID? At the very start, yeah. Mm. Knowing that COVID was a thing. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah foolish. Yeah. Um, but we, we, we both got made redundant from the Stokehouse in Brisbane um, because the 10-year lease was coming to an end. Obviously, COVID was hitting. Frank didn't really know what was happening with the world. The, the world. Yeah. Um, and it was obviously a, a juggernaut of a restaurant. So it was like, you know what, let's just kind of... yeah pull out and, and see what happens. So that made myself and Alex redundant. We got um, paid out quite nicely. And we're like, well, we could just sit and just wait for an opportunity to come. And, and we're kind of looking, okay, what venues are in Brisbane that we could work at, um, even Melbourne or Sydney. And then we just thought, let's just, let's just kind of try something to buy the bit of time. So Sofredi's opened as a six month pop-up. It was supposed to be a six month thing. Um, we chose, a spaghetti bar because it was cheap. Everybody loves pasta and we're like, okay, cool. Two things, like we can do it very cheap. 
we know that it's a fan favorite. Let's just kind of do this for six months, get, get a bit of cash, you know, kind of have a bit of fun, work with your mates, and it should be fun. Awesome. Yeah, yeah great, great attitude. And then after, after about a month of doing it, we we're like, okay, we've paid ourselves back the initial investment. It's actually going pretty well. It's not that shit. So let's <laughs> keep it's going. Not that shit. <laughs> <laughs> you can just imagine him writing a business plan. In the future, we hope, it, we hope it to be not that shit. And if it's not that shit, we Carry will on. continue. <laughs> <laughs> business plan done. Yeah, <laughs> I've some biz. <laughs> and um, and yeah, and that was that was it. So then we were like, let's let's extend this. So we extended it for a five year lease, knowing that you know we'll, we'll kind of just see what happens. Um, and it was, it was great fun. We made a lot of good friends, a lot of good memories. Um, and it was awesome to, to kind of be your own boss. It was a, it, it's definitely a lot different spending your own money than somebody else's. Yeah. Um, instead of kind of just willy-nilly being like, yes, yeah, cool, we'll, we'll buy this and we'll buy that. It's, do we actually need like to spend $10 on this? So you, you kind of, you become very tight ass very quick when it's your own money. Um, but that being How said- How do you teach that back down through? Now you know that. What's the what's is there a plan for future ventures to, um, you know, instill them values? I think I think what you're talking about is your values change, and yeah. I, and and all of a sudden you're understanding that there is a bottom line and there is rent to pay and there could be dangerous times ahead. But you also don't want to be a tight ass. You want to leave a bit of energy in there for inspiration and, and um, creativity. Uh, have you got a bit of a strategy on how you might, you know, instill that? Get them drunk probably is one of them. But, um, <laughs> is, have you got any other strategies about how to make sure that, you know, you can do uh, a sustainable business model from that point of view going forward? I think be very open. So we were very open with our staff of, hey, guys, this is what we've made this week. This is the percentage of labor costs. This is Great. the percentage of food costs. This is what we pay for rent, water, electricity. And then this tiny, tiny little figure here, this is, this is what we yeah. put back into the yeah. business. And what this figure, we call it not that shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay, that's a great, that's a great uh, yeah. line. Yeah. So therefore, when the staff kind of say, oh, hey, can we, can we buy this bit of equipment or can we do this? It's never a no, but it's a, okay, let's see if we can, where we can. And if it's not straight away, then, okay, cool. We can work towards this in the next couple of weeks or months. And if we need a new, uh, a Paco jet that's $10,000. Okay, well, we can't get that right now because we're coming into winter. But how about, I promise you that as soon as we pick up and as soon as kind of like we start hitting these targets again, that's the first thing that we buy. So they present you something, prove that it's a, a worthwhile investment. Yeah. And, that, you know, and then we'll look at the budget and go, right, when's the right time to slot something like that investment in? What other opportunities are there? Let's not do some of these. Or, Absolutely. You know, we're not, if we can do this, we're not going to be able to do that. You, yeah. You know, all those chats. Because that's, that's kind of what I felt um, going through the ranks is most, most kind of um, operators or chefs or owners, which fair to them, they kind of keep the financials to themselves, which is also like a very good, good way to, to operate. But you don't get the full picture. So yeah. when well, you say, hey, chef, I need this, or hey, let's order this in, or hey, let's get that. And the world like, demands no. transparency now. Exactly, it yeah. Does. It's, it has changed, I believe. It's like the old command and control, which is what a kitchen runs on. Yeah. And now it has to change that as well. It's an inspirational place. It's an open place, like you're saying. So Absolutely. I think you're definitely on the right track. And then people are more invested, you know? They're yeah. like, okay, cool. I know that if we push and we, 
do this event and we we kind of hit these targets for food costs and these for labor costs I'll, I'll clock this guy off early or i'll get this guy in earlier so therefore this guy doesn't have to be here and and so forth mm. next minute like your guys are kind of running the place for you and you're just yeah well that's all meant to be isn't it you're the yeah. inspiration checking out so that's a great sustainable model from you know the operation side of the business what do you think going forward for a lot of restaurants uh, is going to be a you know from the other side of sustainability the environment mm. uh, so normally they've got their you know but yeah well let's touch on the environment first yeah so working at the Stokehouse St Kilda that was that has just been commissioned as the um, first five-star green rated restaurant in the whole of Australia yeah, congratulations to um, them that's fantastic yeah so I learned a lot through that um, we had obviously the closed loop system so all of the um, all of the the waste from the 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 prep and also uh, customers' plates, which hopefully wasn't that large, would go into That's because you were good at overselling. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> yeah. uh, went into the, the closed loop system. Um, after 24 hours, it was then went into fertilizer, um, which we then gave back to the farmers that we, we brought from. Did that work? And that worked, yeah. And then. Because I know that someone tried to do it here, tried to urbane, tried to do that. It just wasn't quite working. It was all good in theory, but he couldn't even give the stuff away in the end, I believe. I could be wrong. Sorry if I'm wrong, guys. But We used to give away to um, to schools and colleges yeah, and, right, okay. and different places like that. I mean, as well. we, we do something similar. We sell it to, we have, uh, you know, outside of cabbage leaves and whatever might have to trim up something, but um, it ends up in a place down the Gold Coast. What's it called, Scarlett? Phoenix. Phoenix Power and they put it through their process on a massive scale yeah. and give it to building sites around the place. So one of the, I think we're the only people that actually do that. Most That's people great. mix it with their styrofoam and put that back <laughs> in the thing. So just, you know, while I'm plugging myself here, uh, what what else we do is we actually, re any styrofoam that does come through this business, we uh, collect it all and send it to a place where it gets melted down and turned back into something else, e.g. picture frames, which are around the building. Really? Um, yeah, so them sort of things a lot of people don't know about what, what we do yeah. from that environmental level. And as I told you about the building with all the sustainable things that we're trying to do with the wood that's been reclaimed and the carpets recycled and the water tanks that wash the vans, flush the all that sort of things. It's becoming more and more important. Yeah. And I wanted to see how that, yeah, more and more, you've just told me about how St Kilda are doing it. So you'll be, you know, hoping to implement some of those things in your, you know, like, and I, and I know we're not talking about your future ventures today um, because you're still working them out. But um, is, is, is that something that you see that's important? I know I just pretty much asked you that, but is that, you know, what other initiatives are going to be important? You've, you've touched on a couple. It is obviously um, sustainability is, is a very kind of um, key word these days with with restaurants, whether that's to suppliers, um, the produce that you're getting in, and how that produce has even been delivered to the door, if that's in a mm. in a sustainable way. I do think it's a little bit of um, a difficult topic to nail down exactly what sustainability means. Um, and a, a, a phrase that I kind of like to use is low impact. So I want to be as, in the, the, ven, the next venture that we're um, opening, I want to be as low impact on the environment as possible. And that goes from the, the produce that I'm using, um, making, making sure it hasn't had too many air miles and, and it's, we're kind of choosing as much as we can from, or almost 100% is going to be from Australia. Um, but then the packaging that it arrives in as well, you know? As you touched on, we don't really want any we don't want any polystyrene uh, boxes. We'd like to kind of return back to to sender, um, and we just want to be as, as low impact on the environment as as possible. So, just quick survey here: if I was to give you a crate 
that, you know, your stock in a crate or mm. anything that didn't come in a box. So if you get in the box, we can get the <clears> box back because it's still not going to have an effect on the environment there. Well, it is, but it's already been made. But to start to lower it, if I gave you a crate, would you give it back to me? Would you keep it and take it home and put it in your shed? No, I've, no, I'm not a hoarder. <laughs> Minimalistic. Yeah. Oh, great. <laughs> yeah. Okay, the only chef in Brisbane who's going to do that. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's something we're, we're working on at the moment as well to make sure that we can um, – we've actually got – We've got a crate, we've got it, it folds it, it can do itself, and we're going to do a couple of experiments to make sure that, because there's a lot, so then boxes, particularly wax boxes, which, you know, keep things from disintegrating a box with the moisture that's in a lettuce, say, yeah. for example, and then not having to put it in plastic, e.g. iceberg, um, it has to be wax. So we need to get away from that. And the reason that we will get away from it is the supermarkets will demand it soon as they're heading for green. The only reason, you know, they're, they're heading for green, not because they're nice people, in my opinion. Maybe I should take that out, actually. Um, you know, because the world is forcing anyone who has... Absolutely. The, the people who hold all the money yeah. to the supermarkets and everywhere, then we need to change the world. Yeah. So it's going to come back through the big companies, which is actually awesome yeah. because they're going to start making farms more accountable and, and, and understand and educate. It is a process over time, but it is something we are super passionate about and super getting on top of and really proud of that. Yeah. But, um, I think our drive has been, you know, right from childhood really has been like, hey, we lived in Byron and we want to make sure that the world's great. But mm. um, I can see it being really important for restaurants. It's great to see that it's in your mindset. Um, what else has come, man? But what, what about what about Ollie's signature dish, mate? What's, have you got a signature <laughs> dish? Ah, uh, no. Did you come up with that black garlic bread thing that they had at Gaze? That was cracking. That was great. That was a combination between me and um, Cormac. So yeah, Cormac oh, was oh, the, Cormac. the... Whatever happened to Cormac? He's uh, from last time I heard. He's like a full-time fisherman now. He's just he loves enjoying fishing, life. He? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good on him. He's got a couple of kids, and he's he just having a great cracking. time. That that thing there, I can't believe this. I haven't seen it again. Yeah, I haven't seen a black garlic muffin. Yeah, and I think there should be because it's a sweet, delicious. It was great, and it was with um, caramelized butter and burnt vanilla powder. It was yeah, it was a great combo. How do you burn vanilla powder on purpose? Because I know how to do it without them. But... Just throw it in the oven. I think it was like 180 for like five, uh, 10 minutes, I think. So you just throw the powder in? No, the, the whole pods. Oh, the so whole, whole vanilla pods. pods, yeah. Right, okay. Um, you do need quite a few to make make a powder work. Um, and then, then you just blitz it up and it's kind of roasty, nutty, caramelizedy, toasty vanilla. Mate, you've just given away your signature dish. Damn. I think you can. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what other challenges are you thinking is going to get me in the future with the world changing in the kitchens? Well, hopefully we're kind of overcoming it now, but um, again, I don't want to kind of bring up COVID, but it, ha it did kind of have a big dent on staff. Mm. So staff, international um, chefs in, in front of house and so forth, we, we took a massive hit. Um, not only in just the, the number of like workforce, but also skills um, and skilled labor. So that hopefully is is kind of something that we're turning around now i did read something the other day about um visa yeah, visa yeah. holders being um granted a few more um extensions and so forth so hopefully that's kind of going to turn around but is there still not a global shortage of that or we do we need to go back and start training a heap of people as well because it feels like they just disappeared into the going fishing with cormac <laughs> unfortunately yeah i i reached out well, to um, Coast, to one of these um apprentice uh, schools a couple of uh, months ago. I was like, "Hey, look, I need, I need someone. Do you have, do you have anybody available?" And um, the lady she was like, "Oh, look, 
at the start of the, the year, I had 70 students. It says now I've got 32. People have just dropped out. They don't want to be a chef anymore. They don't want to be part of the industry. And I, I, I don't know what it is. Maybe it was the, the stigma of, of how shitty the wages are, how shitty the hours are, and that kind of put a lot of people off. I guess that it, has changed now. It has, so, yeah. So it, it's a, yeah, well, please, advice for people who are thinking about becoming, you know, in the industry. Yeah, definitely. Similar to my situation, if you, if you Sorry, love food. Sorry, that's my airplane going. <laughs> <laughs> if, um, if you love food and you, you know, girls really like guys that can cook. So, <laughs> yeah, it is true. What is the? I was actually only saying this. What is the celebrity celebrityness about chefs? That you know, is it the cooking shows? Is it because they because they like bloody rock stars? And yeah, things, you know, I'm a fan as well. I hate to say, I love watching it. <laughs> I was a bit nervous interviewing a couple of people a few when we did the Port Douglas thing. Yeah, and um, I was like, because these guys have worked in such great places, and then you remind yourself that hey, they're just human, and you get through it really yeah. well. Yeah, um, it, it is a thing, is it? So there's one good reason. So, you, so if you're a guy, you get girlfriend. Um, if and then um, yeah, you end up being a celebrity before you know it. Yeah, that's the. Well, that's not the everyone ends up being a celebrity. Let's face it. There's a lot of backboning break work, but not everyone wants to be either. So, yeah, yeah. What other reasons? So you're saying the, the pay's not the, so bad? The pay's not so bad now. Um, and also the hours are, are very reasonable now. Um, so you don't have to do five five doubles every day and work every single night. Um, you don't have to always work weekends. A lot of these places, you, you are kind of on a 40-hour contract. And yeah. that is it. And, and they have to be strict because of a few things that happened a few years ago with the likes of Colin Boris in Melbourne and so forth. So it is a lot more regimented now that you come in, you do your hours, and you leave. You don't kind of, you're not yeah. expected to stay. And and to be fair, on you know, even that situation with Colin Barris, it's 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 always been such an art. And if you wanted to come in and learn how to make pasta for longer, like mm. it is on, you know, it used to be on your own back yeah. to do that, and now it can be, um, you know, seen as a bad thing. You yeah, know, that it needs to be a part of the training. So I really think that that's going to impact in a potentially positive way or a negative way that but probably positive and when we start to think outside the box and making sure that we're using seasonal produce mm. seasonal products that's where we can make sure that we're getting you know the right yield out of our overall costs in business yeah and not just flog the staff and buy the buy the, the, the easiest most convenient stuff that you know like you know, whatever the staple, whatever it is. Mm. I think that the, that's the evolution of food. Now that we have to be better with our hours from a sustainable work-life balance piece, yeah. then what's got to change then? For me, I believe it's the, you know, it's the food. Do you, would you agree with that? Absolutely, yeah. We, um, a few restaurants in England, we used to get the whole, the whole animal in and we used to break it down and each, each night would be, okay, cool, we're going to showcase this cut of, the the animal we're then gonna once that sold out then we use this part and then we use this part and that was a big eye-opener of, of i guess the first glimpse of i wouldn't even say it was sustainability it was just good management it mm. was okay we've paid for this whole thing mm. we need to get a return on every item um and actually a, a funny story when we opened st kilda richard usby who's um he's got very rubber arms when somebody gives him a deal he's like yep i'm in <laughs> And I remember he bought two whole cows and <laughs> processed, not, yeah, processed cows. But he bought, walked out to the restaurant with a rope. <laughs> <laughs> and the two cows. Yeah, just outside, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, 
And yeah, he said, okay, cool. I, I can't remember the cost, but he was like, cool, this is cost is X amount. We need to make, I think, three grand on these two cows. I was like, what? what? <laughs> He's like, cool, yeah, so just break it down and we'll, we'll say, okay, cool, the, the, the rump costs this much, the bones are this, the head's this, this is this. And it was, it was a, a team effort that we kind of looked at everything and we're like, okay, cool, we need to make X amount of money out of this to not only make this a financial, financial like, good decision, but also just like an ethical, great, good decision. Was that at the Stokehouse? That was at the Stokehouse Melbourne, yeah. Yeah, right. When I we feel, first I opened. Like, did, oh, actually. <laughs> it's like opening week. Otto, I feel like Otto <laughs> does that now. Otto does something like that now. Like yeah. he buys cows and does something. Yeah, for the um, Onyx Reserve or yeah, something yeah. like that, yeah. yeah. But yeah, it's a great way of, okay, you, everything, everything that comes in the door, has a dollar value, no matter how big, no matter how small, everything that comes in. And there was a, a meme or a video a while back of um, different like suppliers walking in the restaurant with bags of money and putting it down. And the chefs were like pretending to chop it up and putting things off just to show like everything in the kitchen has a has a value. Yeah, right. So um, that, they, you know, like, yeah, nothing gets me worse. No, and then they were throwing stuff the in ends the ends of the capsicum in the bin. Exactly. Yeah, well, they cut that whole end off and throw it in the bin. I'm just like, are you a friggin idiot? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, great. So that opens up from to that. So that would be what you call a traditional way of cooking when we didn't have abundance, mm. right? So now we don't have abundance of time, but uh, well, we need to manage our time. But the product, you need to make sure you get the best yield out of it. So that's actually um, where we're sort of going back to fermenting, preserving, and making sure that we're utilizing the things that are in season, which I'm super yep. excited about educating people that come out here in that little kitchen we showed you down the big kitchen we showed you downstairs and and this area up the roof here where we can actually do more of this type of education because it is going to be the backbone and the pillar of the result of good restaurant which is to make some money not the purpose <clears throat> but the result yeah and i believe that the more that we can educate people on doing that properly because fermenting preserving it can actually freak people out yeah and as long as you get the sanitization of the of the jar and whatever but you know like for people to do it at home i think that that you know we, we can do it in restaurants we hadn't been we yeah sort of went down the track of we were buying everything but um you know if we're doing a lot more of that we can have our own spin on a preserve or a ferment absolutely or a, you know and uh, I think, and also, you know, you've seen that once again videos on either TikTok or wherever it is, you know, of making sure that you're using like the onion skin into a powder, into a salt. And yeah. it's, it's so exciting now. And I think that's the evolution of food amongst things going on fire. Yeah. You know, but <laughs> over flames, which everyone's doing, which is great. Yeah. Um, but it's, um, that's the new sort of thing for me that we're making sure that we're getting this zing in the restaurant. But also, it's this balance and transition of changing food from the things that people go to places for yep and slowly educating these things in where you're putting a homemade onion salt in something without and then they then they go oh you know as opposed to having it on the menu because that's where people get scared they don't order that yeah because i want to guarantee a good night because my money's hurt hard to earn at the moment and i'm really not going to come and try your green peppercorn sauce that's fresh and whatever it might be yeah i, I want what yeah. i normally have and, and so to break people across into these things, 
one is a great opportunity, but you've almost got to just add it into the, the, the few normal things first to, to, to get yeah. things a bit cooler. Of course, some restaurants are going to be the, the pillar of differences and where we, um, I always think of food like the, you know, it starts on this catwalk at some Noma or somewhere and then works its way <laughs> into general a sort of thing. You know? Yeah, like, yeah. you know, I've said this before on the podcast, but the Caesar salad's a great example of that. It went through, now it's in a bag at the supermarket, but it was a thing that was made Table side, Garadon or whatever it is, what it's called, and we cook it on, the, yeah, whatever it is on the yeah. on the side of the table <laughs> with the proper croutons. But really, it was put together at the table. But it was this sexy sort of thing. But you know, the the, the evolution of food is changing, but we're so um, fast and slow at the same time that we're sort of seeing it, but we're not seeing it. So to be able to stop and just stop time for a little second and look at it is a super exciting thing. And I think a lot of us need to do more of that, but really the pillar will be what we were doing hundreds of years ago. And that's preserving, preventing when things were in season. Absolutely. And thinking of it like that, because like these are beautiful um, uh, dill flowers behind us, you know, like someone's going to take all them. Yep. And, you know, either make them into a powder or ferment them or preserve them and use them as something. It's, it's uh, more of that education, which I think might've missed out a little bit in my, early training it was just how to cut things how to you know how to make a demi glaze rah rah it wasn't yeah it was very, it was very wasteful yeah back yeah. in the day i remember having um like a, a whole frisee lettuce and we used to take all of the other leaves off throw them away and the chef just wanted like the very bright yellow bitter leaves in the middle and that just doesn't fly these days because mm. as i say everything has a, a monetary value but with the preserving and the pickling and the powering and the the storage of ingredients, not only is it just a great way of utilizing everything and not throwing things away, but also it's if you're getting those things in that season, that's because they're in season at that stage and they're in season, they're going to be cheaper. Mm. So therefore mm. utilize what, what your suppliers are telling you to, hey guys, this is this is what we're picking from the ground. This is what we're, we're seeing in the markets right now. Put this on your menu or just take it and then use it and, mm. and preserve it. And three months down the line, you've got strawberries that are, are pickled that you can use mm. on the menu, but you're not paying prices for that product when they're out of season, you, you're paying for them. And, and, and that's the that's why we can pay people in restaurants better because yeah. we've moved some of our thought patterns of how we can be more productive in the kitchen. That's why it's important to share the information of the cost and things. Mm. You know, that video is a great way of showing it, uh, the one you spoke about with cutting up the money. But educating them that and being transparent with numbers and figures, using some of these techniques to use things as, I think we're saying the same thing over and over again, but honestly, man, I, I'm so glad that you're on that page and wherever you do end up is they're going to be, you know, super excited because I know that you're going to be able to make them, make yourself money, make them money, whatever, whatever adventures you go on. Um, so you must be super excited about that. I am. Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, yeah, very exciting things coming up, um, southern next year. Um, but yeah, I can't, I can't kind of divulge too much information right now. You got um, But watch this space. Beautiful, mate. Mate, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. And um, yeah, thank you. you know, getting to know your philosophies and where you come from and your story. And um, we'll have to get Usby up on the podcast. Absolutely, soon. he's yeah. a good man. It'll be getting him off. That'll <laughs> be the trouble. Hey. It'll be getting him off. That's the trouble. Yeah, he's, no, he's, he's a, a very talker. busy man at the moment. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Stop him talking. Yeah. yeah, I went on a lovely trip with him out west. We'll have to bring that up. Ended up going to Michael from Fino's place, and um, 
and uh, we actually got lost. We, we were chatting that much. We drove like nearly 100 kilometres the wrong direction. <laughs> we went out past Warwick and started going straight ahead and started turning down to Stanthorpe. Yeah. But, um, yeah, good man, mate. Thank you so much. I look forward to seeing your career blossom even more, even though you're an older man now and you're allowed to drink beer. Um, <laughs> now, I really feel like this is uh, almost just the start for you. And I yeah. can see exciting things for you, mate. So I hope you got a, you know, got your. You got, I'm going to say, and what I advice, my advice for every young chef, is to make sure that you're balancing and looking after your health, and to take advantage of those times that you only have to work forty whatever hours, mm-hmm. and be exercising. That's my advice for every chef out there. And I, I know you would agree because you're an expert rock climber. <laughs> um, but yeah, mate. Like I said, real pleasure talking to you, and look forward to having many years of watching you grow and blossom into the man that you are happy days thank you very much thanks for having me no problem thank you cool